What's up, everybody? Welcome to your latest installment of Nuclear Barbarians. It is I, your nuclear barbarian, Emmett Penny, and I am here with Pat O'Brien, the one and only, let's see if I screw this up or not, Director of Government Affairs and Communications. Correct. All right, for Holtec. What is up, buddy? Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, so where do I start with this? I mean, I want to know like your whole deal, but I want to like sort of clear the air here because this is obviously a podcast geared toward nuclear advocates. As nuclear advocates, we do everything we can to keep plants online. Plants get decommissioned. Whole tech does that. And I was like, you want to know what? Every time I feel too convinced of something, I need to find a way to doubt myself and learn more about it. And I was like, the only way to do that is talk to a company that does that as part of their business. And we'll get into more of like what Holtec is up to, because I think it's a way bigger story than what we see as nuclear advocates. So I really want to thank you for taking time uh, to come on and talk to me about all this. Well, I think you're looking forward to it. Um, all right, cool. So before we get into any of that, though, uh, what's your deal, buddy? How'd you get here? That's a, good, that, that's a funny story and a long road. So, you know, I, I've grown up in Massachusetts. Um, I live in a community uh, that had a nuclear power plant growing up, but not part of my career path when I, when I started going. I went to, to undergrad at UMass Amherst um, as a history major, wanted to be a history teacher. And I, I tend to, to laugh when I tell the story, but halfway through my, my, uh, my sophomore year, I said, you know what? I don't, I'm not sure I can get up in front of a room full of people and talk all the time. <laughs> I got into politics, which is all I've literally done for the last 20 years is get up in front of people and talk. Um, you know, so much so that I'm here in Las Vegas for a conference and I'm speaking at the conference tomorrow in front of a room full of 300 people. So Whoa. kind of a fun, fun, uh, fun path. So, uh, I ended up uh, going to work, uh, at the state legislature in Massachusetts first for five years and then did another eight years, uh, in local government in my hometown of Massachusetts that has the Pilgrim nuclear power plant. Uh, and then an opportunity opened up, um, from a former colleague that said, Hey, you want to come down and work at the nuclear plant? And my timing was impeccable. So I joined in like April of 2015. Uh, in September of 2015, the plant went into column four. So worst operational plant in the nation. And Oof. in October, they were shutting down in 2019. So my timing was spot on. I kind of looked at my and said, what did I do? Um, so I spent, you know, four years as the, as the senior comms guy, as company spokesperson uh, when we were operating and uh, made the decision, you know, towards the end to stay on uh, with the company that, uh, I had just found out about the year before um, that was going to decommission the plant. And, uh, you know, I've stayed on with Holtec for the last, geez, not four, four plus years um, to kind of initially just do government affairs and communications for Massachusetts. Then I took over our whole uh, decommissioning fleet uh, as we've acquired more plants. I did kind of comms of government affairs for that. And then last October, I actually got the opportunity to take over uh, the entire company uh, for comms and government affairs. So. A little bigger responsibility, got to know more of our business. So, yeah, happy to kind of come on and, and talk about it because you're right. I mean, Holtec, you know, when it comes to decommissioning, it's really only a five-year, uh, the last five years as part of our business. Uh, but it's Ooh. a 36-year-old company. So, much, much bigger story there. Uh, you know, we have a company that looks to help solve problems in the nuclear industry. And really what we're known for uh, it is wet fuel storage, so fuel uh, storage inside spent fuel pools, the racking systems that mm. went into those. I mean, obviously, you know, 
and I think the audience is probably well aware of, um, you know, Yucca Mountain never came to fruition. Uh, these pools were designed to hold, you know, a certain amount of fuel uh, safely uh, without um, you know, some sort of uh, method to keep them um, subcritical. And, you know, what we looked at and did as a company and came up with the design for is those racking systems that have allowed more fuel into the pools, keep them subcritical. Um, and then kind of the natural progression from there was, okay, these pools are, are still getting um, full and there's still no repository. So uh, we're, we're also known for our dry fuel storage. We have about 70% of the world's business um, on dry wow. fuel storage. So uh, that's really what we're known for in the industry. Um, but that, again, is, it's just a piece of kind of how we view our business. I mean, I think a lot of people view us as a nuclear company. We view ourselves as a technology company. We're always trying to help solve the next issue. And that's really where decommissioning came in. We looked at it as, okay, we've safely, as, as a nation and an industry, we've safely built them. We've safely run them. Now we need to show that we can, you know, shut these down, return the sites to kind of pre-plant conditions, uh, and let them be economic engines again for communities. And, you know, kind of see what's next and what's next. Obviously, I know we'll talk about it a little bit more is, you know, our kind of vision for, um, you know, the next generation of nuclear. Yeah, totally. So, okay, let me, um, you know, because I have to ask, I think, I've, first of all, I think my listeners would get uh, mad at me if I didn't. What the hell happened with Pilgrim? Uh, tell me a little bit about that backstory well, since you were there. So, towards the yeah, so no, Pilgrim. Pilgrim was interesting. I mean, originally uh, owned and operated by the local utility, which is Boston Edison, was sold to Entergy in 1999, and Entergy ran it for, you know, 20 years. And really, you know, Entergy as a, as a company made a decision to get out of the wholesale, um, you know, non-regulated nuclear mm -hmm. energy markets with their nuclear plants. So Pilgrim, Vermont Yankee, Indian Point, Palisades were all the northern plants that they owned that um, they looked at and said, you know, it's not, it's not part of our business model anymore. Um, you know, uh, we'll look to see what we can do with those assets. One instance, uh, Fitzpatrick, um, they were able to sell that plant off and keep it running. Um, mm -hmm. Indian Point was a negotiated shutdown with the state of New York. Um, they're like totally separate thing. We know that story. Yeah. <laughs> and Pilgrim really, you know, kind of same thing. You know, I think there was some hope at some point, you know, maybe someone would, would do something similar with, with Pilgrim that was done at Fitzpatrick. But, uh, you know, someone never, you know, uh, no buyer for that uh, continued operations kind of came in. Uh, mm. So, you know, we went down the path to, to shut down. And, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, having worked there for as long as I have, um, you know, it was a lot, it was a source of pride at the end and how, how the plant, um, you know, operated. Yeah. We were in column four, you know, in the NRC's, uh, you know, matrix, but we were able to, to drive and change culture the last couple of years, even in the situation where knowing we were shutting down and we were able to get back to column one status, which, you know, wow. the industry is not two months before we shut down. So I kind of talked to the pride and the culture of the people, um, and, and it was a real, um, you know, accomplishment for the site, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think there was some short-sightedness, uh, you know, from policymakers on what the value of Pilgrim was to the state of Massachusetts and the New England grid as a whole. Um, so you've really seen that shutdown be backfilled by gas. Um, yeah. As usual. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, but, you know, you know, we're looking at our project and, and Pilgrim's, you know, coming along from a decommissioning perspective mm -hmm. where it was just four years ago, last week we shut down. It was the 31st of, of May, 2019, the plant shut. Uh, and we've been we've been moving along. Uh, really, all that's left on the site uh, from a you know a, a nuclear footprint is the uh, the reactor building, turbine building. All the outbuildings have been removed. There's one wow. 
office buildings, all the spent fuel has been stored. Uh, actually, since 20, end of 2021, we, uh, we were able to get all the spent fuel pool safely managed in, in, in under two and a half years, which is there was a world, I think it still is a world record for, uh, for uh, a plant. So, it, you know, that project's going, there's, there's been some challenges. Um, most of those are, um, you know, from a, a state or a regulatory perspective, um, you know, the biggest one that it started a pilgrim, it's headed to Indian Point, And, you know, I'm worried that it could, you know, kind of engulf the industry is, um, you know, treating and releasing wastewater from facilities uh, that have, have low levels of tritium. Um, it's been a big newsmaker in Massachusetts. It's become a very big newsmaker in Indian Point. Um, and I think you saw with a uh, different situation, though, um, out at Monticello in Michigan when they had an unplanned release of some, some tritiated water. So it's, it's become something in the industry that uh, I'll say the, the opposition groups have jumped on. They've used it to raise, uh, you know, funds and, and push back on, on the safety and, and the, uh, you know, the robustness of the industry. Yeah, I mean, you know, you'd have to chug a gallon of it to get the same exposure as like eating a banana, you yeah. know. But like, you know, that's you know, okay. I mean, they've been doing that for years. You know, that's their that's their mo. They're always going to capitalize on that. And um, you know, it's funny when we were setting this up. You called me from Pilgrim, and I remember being like, "Did you just call me from a nuclear plant?" Because in my mind, it was like decommissioned. I was like, "What is there? Like just a phone in a field?" And this guy's calling me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a lot's gone. Okay, so th good. We have some more clarity there. Well, this is sort of the perfect pivot because you brought it up. Let's talk about Palisades because here I think we have two different aspects of Holtex business converging. Um, part of it was the acquisition of the plant for decommissioning and then the surprising move to say, no, we want to keep it running. And not only do we want to keep it running, we want to debut some other stuff we have in the works for nuclear reactors. So. Why don't you walk me through what's going on with Palisade? Because there, it's like we've had a lot of turnovers on downs here with this one. I hope it's is interesting. So you know, previously again owned by Entergy, um, you know, late in the game, you know, similar. You know, Pilgrim had been in, you know in an out shutdown for four years. Palisades was the same kind of timeline uh, that this plant was shutting down. You know, at a certain date. So. Um, whole thing could look to acquire it for decommissioning and, 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 you know, kind of at the last minute, the governor uh, of, of Michigan, um, you know, some federal officials said, Hey, you know, would you guys consider keeping that plant open? And, you know, understandably Entergy's business was business model was to exit that, that market. So they weren't, um, you know, they weren't willing to, but they were willing to listen and, and, and help work, you know, kind of through the process and, and let us listen. Uh, and really, you know, that's what we said. We said, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work with you. We'll listen. We'll see what, what's available. And I think, you know, really the change, you know, kind of the sea change came from the federal government level with some of this money that's been available mm -hmm. uh, for nuclear plants. And, you know, our initial, um, you know, kind of thought was, well, we can, you know, acquire it for decommissioning. We can do some of the modifications um, necessary that would need to happen in decommissioning, but they're reversible. So, you know, you have the opportunity that should the opportunity arise to restart and repower that plant. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. So um, that's kind of the eye we went into decommissioning with um, and, you know, kind of the parallel path to that. So we acquired it in June of last year. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was July of last year. I put in an application to the civil nuclear credit program um, to see if it was viable to repower plant. Um, you know, unfortunately, 
how that was written at the time. Um, kind of didn't fit with Palisade's situation. We were, we were shut down already. Um, yeah. And as everyone probably knows, obviously, uh, uh, Diablo uh, did get the first successful award uh, from that program. Um, and then subsequently they, they kind of revamped that program and um, made some, some, some tweaks that would have allowed Palisades to be, um, you know, uh, uh, eligible for uh, the mm -hmm. monies from that program. But in the interim, we kind of looked at it and, and continued to talk with DOE about, you know, what other opportunities, what other sources of funding might there be that might make sense? And uh, really, the reality of it is we looked at um, the DOE loan program as something mm -hmm. that made a lot more sense from our perspective for, um, you know, the structure of what we need to do to, to repower the plant. Uh, so we applied for that, um, and that's still ongoing. Um, you know, we would hope to know, uh, you know, sometime in the fall this year, uh, whether that funding is going to be available. And then that really would be the kind of that go, no, go point on a restart. That's a very high level, easy, easy way of looking at it. That made it sound very simple. Like, oh, we'll get that and go. There's a lot more behind the scenes, obviously. Um, you know, we've worked uh, very closely with, uh, you know, state and local uh, elected officials. Um, the state, um, just to put together a nuclear caucus, they've been very um, pro uh, Palisades uh, repower. Um, and they're looking at, you know, potential uh, grant opportunities to state um, mm -hmm. to and then really you run into the kind of the uh, the other elephants in the room um you know nrc working with the nrc to go back through the process to um to take off the restrictions that we have on the license um since shutdown uh we would look to get a power purchase agreement you know you need to sell the power somewhere so yeah that's right pretty big piece uh, we need to find uh, and partner with an operator, uh, you know, obviously Holtec, you know, as I mentioned, you know, different parts of our business, but uh, had not been an operator uh, of a nuclear power plant that's running. So we'll look to par partner with someone that, that is in the industry. Uh, and then really, I'll say kind of, you know, the, the big thing, my opinion would be, you know, bringing back the workforce, um, you know, yeah. now, say, running your almost 600 people. Uh, there's about 220 there today. So, you know, pretty significant, um, you know, effort would be needed to bring back, you know, potentially people that retired or went into other industries uh, or just train a new workforce, um, you know, that, you know, hopefully can help run that plant for, you know, uh, years to come. So, you know, a lot of moving parts, moving pieces. Um, yeah. We're optimistic. Um, you know, I've said in a number of interviews, well, it's something that's never happened in the industry before. And, Technically, I'm right when I say it that way. It's, you know, no one's ever shut down a plant to decommission it and then repower. But right. there have been instances in the industry of plants shutting down for prolonged outages, you know, multiple years to um, kind of go and reassess and, and, and work through whatever issue may have been at that particular facility. So it's not unheard of to restart a plant that had been kind of in, in a, uh, in, you know, in a dormant state for a little while. So, you know, something we'll look at and then you know, once we have that kind of personnel piece, there's a, there's obviously going to be a big effort to uh, go back through all the systems, uh, ensure that, you know, preventative maintenance, required maintenance is done and kind of get the plant back into a um, um, position to, you know, effectively run for the long term uh, and provide clean power. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's really helpful because it helps people see like sort of all the different layers of governmental work that needs to be done, you know. Um, the coalitions that need to be built, but also like just what it takes to run a plant and sell its power 
The PPA thing, I think, is very, very fascinating. Um, I don't know how much you can talk about it, but I do know that I've had several conversations with people uh, who are interested in nuclear or uh, whatever, and they're like, I'm looking at strictly behind the meter stuff at this point because our power markets are so complex and so ungenerous to baseload power sometimes that uh, that's what they're looking at. Is Holtec looking at a variety of PPA options at this point? Are you guys not even there yet? Like, what's going on? Um, can you not talk about it? Because that's fine, yeah, I too. Can't talk, I can't talk about it, too. Very much. fair. No, that's fair. Just, no, just, just looking for, you know, a PPA that will work and allow for uh, the plant to, to, to operate again, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, baseline. That makes total sense. Um, okay, so this is what I heard. I don't know if it's right. And so you can set the record straight because this is sort of the next thing that I kind of want to talk about with you is that um, I also heard that uh, Holtec might be interested in debuting uh, its own reactor design at the Palisades site, which I imagine like most nuclear plants does not have its full reactor set and so could afford to site more reactors there. Um, of course, this would be after all the whole rigmarole we just decided, but did I hear that correctly? Um, yeah, that's been, that's been mentioned as, as an opportunity, obviously, very pro-nuclear uh, area, pro-nuclear state. Uh, you know, it's something we consider, uh, you know, with our small modular reactor uh, design, we have what's what we call the SMR-160, 160-megawatt uh, reactor, pressurized water reactor. Um, it is something that we'll consider, um, you know, should Palisades reopen. It's also something we'll consider, should, you know, we not be successful. You know, it, it's a, it would be a good site for us to potentially debut that, and and you know where we are in the process with with our um, our uh, SMR. You know, you're looking at probably a deployment date in the early 2030s. So there's still some time uh, to work through that process. Obviously, for our design with the NRC, all the licensing at a federal, state, local level that might be necessary uh, to work through. Um, so you know. I'm excited for the industry because, you know, we have our uh, small modular reactor, but there's a number of different designs out there. And that's really where I think we see the industry headed, um, you know, long term. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure how many more you're going to see of the big Vogels that just got built um, mm -hmm. and, and take a long time to get through that process. You know, where if you can get a lot of these designs, you know, approved and through the, uh, the analysis by the NRC, um, you know, these will be much more easily deployable um, and, you know, in a way that, you could cite two or three, yeah. you know, on the same um, footprint to allow for, um, you know, kind of something similar to what you have with some of these older plants that have, you know, uh, 800,000 megawatt uh, capacities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it's interesting just how many different new advanced reactor types are going on. Why don't, why don't you walk me through what yours is a little bit and yeah. like what sets it apart from New Scale or Oaklo or Kairos or any of these other companies because yeah. everybody has their own flavor, you know? It's very true. And, you know, I was at the, the uh, Nuclear Energy Assembly at DC a few weeks ago and to hear the, all the different designs and, and ideas and, and where everyone is in the process was, was very fascinating to me because obviously I've really been focused on ours. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, sometimes, in, in, you know, tried and true is the best, you know, in my mind sometimes. So that's really where our where our design is. I mean, it's a, it's a small modular, but it's a reactor, but it's just a pressurized wa water reactor, you know, similar to your Indian points, your Palisades. Um, 
you know, it, it's kind of got a unique design. It, it doesn't rely on pumps or motors to remove heat. Um, so mm. it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, we consider it walk away safe, um, and secure and it's easily deployable. So it's deployable in places where it's dry and you don't have that water source. And then it's obviously, uh, deployable in kind of your typical, uh, what I would say nuclear footprint area, you know, near a body of water. Um, right. So, you know, we designed it for, you know, 160 megawatts, um, you know, an 80 year, uh, design life. Um, so in a, in a two year fuel cycle. So it's, it's very similar in that sense to kind of what the industry understands uh, and knows. So, you know, really where we are, um, you know, from a, from a timeline perspective, we, we would hope to have, um, you know, kind of commercial operations in the 2031, 2032 time range. Um, but we're, we've done a lot of pre-application work with the, with the nuclear regulatory commission kind of talking through, you know, what our design is, uh, you know, our understanding of, uh, what they need before we put in an application for, for mm -hmm. review, um, you know, to support the construction permit application. So, uh, we found a lot of success in that. And I think we could do, um, you know, a two part or a one part, um, uh, application depending on, you know, kind of where we see it going. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit of work, obviously, you know, we've been working on it for over a decade. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we feel like we're going in the right direction and, and we're getting there. Um, but, you know, still still a little bit of work to do um, before everything formally goes into the NRC. Yeah. So let me ask you a little bit more about that, because I think this is the first time I've uh, interviewed somebody that works for a company that's in the process of um, engaging with uh, the regulators. I mean, I've talked to ONG guys and we've talked about their relationship with the EPA and how that works. But uh, the NRC is its own animal. Um, so let me just ask you the big dumb question. Uh, what's it like? What, what do the steps look like? Uh, how demanding is the process uh, from your perspective? Like, just give me the general vibe here. Yeah, you know, I think from a vibe perspective, I think it's been very good. You know, we have a very good regu regulatory affairs team. Um, that has worked with the NRC in various roles over the years. Um, they know them well. They know what they want to see and what they want to hear. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're not, they're not afraid to, you know, to do the work, to have them, um, you know, review kind of pre-application stuff and then ask the questions. And, and that stuff's actually all public, which is, it's kind of been cool. We've done some social posts on it, which, you know, I think to <laughs> the average person might be a little uh, nerdy and technical, <laughs> but to those of us in the nuclear industry, it, it is kind of exciting to kind of show you know, different meetings, different steps. Um, so what ends up happening is we'll have these type of public meetings, pre-application meetings, and the NRCL actually write up like a, a post-meeting uh, review and put those out publicly. So, you know, it's been good. It's 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 been an open dialogue. I think it's helped um, from our perspective, kind of potentially address things that, you know, should we have just put the application in, we would be addressing them at a different point in time. So it's much easier, you know, on our end to kind of um, create and bring them the right rock, you know, my, my mm -hmm. term, bring them the right rock, you know, it's not go find me a rock. So I love that. I love that. That progress. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's smoother in that sense. And, you know, and, 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 you know, we feel it's, it's, it's a good design. We feel it's deployable and, uh, you know, we really want to see it, um, succeed and, and help the industry, uh, going forward because, I mean, I've been in the nuclear industry almost a decade now, and if you had told me when I started, I mean, obviously I talked about my timing and how, how uh, opportune it was to start a plant that was shutting down, um, that we'd be talking about um, not only 
trying to repower a plant that had shut down for decommissioning. But you're talking about, you know, trying to rebuild, I mean, trying to rebuild the industry with new gen technology and, and new deployment. I would have, I would have laughed, you know, 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Well, talk to me about that. What's that? So I've, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not an old head in the pro nuclear space. There, there are people who've been here way longer and way stronger than me. You know, I didn't have to, didn't have to dig the wells that I drink from. Uh, but I have been in it for a minute now. And even in the time that I've been in it, uh, it has been remarkable. What's it been like to see these changes within the industry and how is the industry talking about it amongst themselves? If you can give us a little insight yeah. into that. I think I'll answer the, the, the second question first, because yeah, I, I'm just coming off of the nuclear energy assembly that NEI puts on um, down at DC. There was an optimism that I hadn't seen in the industry in a long time. You know, it really was kind of excitement that there is so much progress. There is so much commitment, I think, um, at a federal and state level uh, from government to say, hey, nuclear is a valuable resource. You know. The, the, the example I use all the time is everyone wants to electrify everything. All right? We want to run on all electric cars and everything, <laughs> which is fine, except that where's your power coming from? You know, people think about their power in the sense that I plug something in and it works. Mm -hmm. I plug it, it's not working, that's a problem. They don't think about the back end of where the power comes from. So, you know, to, to, to want to electrify, you know, the entire vehicle fleet in the country, you need a lot of baseload power and, and more yeah. than what wind and solar and even gas um can 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 bring to the to you know to the grid so you really need reliable uh, kind of safe green always on power um that nuclear is um to allow for that so really the, that optimism that you know kind of value that people are seeing in the industry that for years they really hadn't i mean i think you know at least when i initially got into the industry nuclear was kind of viewed as okay republicans are pro-nuclear democrats are, are against nuclear for sure yeah and that was just kind of the mix and, you know, coming from government, I kind of, I kind of got that and understood, you know, kind of, that was the playing field. And then, you know, you still see obviously a lot of pro-Republican support in nuclear, but you've really seen, you know, the democratic side really look at it as, you know, a valued resource. Now it's in my opinion, um, regionalized. So you don't see that as yes. much East, the Northeast, you know, you still have the advocacy groups that are, that are opposed to nuclear um, that, you, you know, fought to close Pilgrim, that fought to close Indian Point, um, and that are still fighting along through the decommissioning process. So, you know, I, I don't see as much, you know, kind of change in that arena um, for, hey, we should be looking at, at nuclear as a, as a, as a reason. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some, you know, New Hampshire's got a, um, a working group right now that one of my colleagues spoke to a few weeks ago about our reactor design, um, that they're looking at, you know, what's, potentially next for new hampshire is there new nuclear available to new hampshire and you know they're they have one of the two remaining nuclear plants in new england uh with seabrook still online and running you mm -hmm. know the megawatts there so you know they look at it in one way but then i just saw you know recently maine had had a bill that was proposed that looked would look at um it's the best way to put it would be floating nuclear so you know put yeah yeah uh, you know on a, on a ship you know and, and and do that and then that that failed um uh, Connecticut's viewed, you know, obviously they saved Millstone. Uh, Millstone had been, you know, potentially mm -hmm. on the same path as Pilgrim. Um, so there's some incentives done there, but they're looking at potentially. They look aggressive pro-nuclear now, all of a sudden, honestly, like I was reading some local press there and it, I was shocked. Like it, it wasn't just like, oh yeah, we're coming around to this. They're similar to Yunkin's push in Virginia. They were like, maybe this needs to be our next thing. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and it's been fascinating to kind of watch. And, you know, I'm kind of used to that in the Southern plants, you know, having worked for energy, there's a lot of support in the South for nuclear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I think, I think the prime example is what we talked about a little bit, touched on a little bit earlier when I was talking about the, the credit program is, you know, the fact that California kind of reversed 180 and said, okay, we need to save Diablo was, was huge. Um, not something I would have expected yeah. uh, to see in the industry five years ago. Um, but I think once they realize the value and, and what, what it brings to the, to the, to the state um, and to the grid for security purposes, because, you know, to me, a lot of times, you know, you talk about, you know, one, you know, fuel source versus another, you know, from an environmental perspective, from, to, to me, there's a big piece, you know, from a, you know, national security perspective and, and yeah. an energy independence perspective. Um, you know, that to me, I, I think kind of gets shortchanged, nuclear gets shortchanged in. Um, you know, I remember, you know, going back through, we were a pilgrim, um, you know, we were, we were trying to work with FERC back then to say, Hey, you know, can we get, you know, considered for the winter reliability credits that a number of fuel sources get? Because oh, wow. I didn't know you guys applied for that or tried to looked at it. Cause it was one of those things where, you know, you're looking at what those are and what those are is they give you incentive to have onsite fuel sources that are ready to go. And it's like, there's no more onsite fuel source ready to go than nuclear. It's there. It's in yeah. two years. I mean, you know, what do you want? So, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, five years ago, that was the, you know, kind of the viewpoint of them at that point was now the nuclear didn't qualify. Now you've seen that sea change in the last five years. So now yeah. I think they burned enough oil to keep the yeah. lights on in New England yeah. to be like, you know what? Uh, uh, we might want to rethink that, which well, is, that- you know. I remember that right when we shut down, it was, it was a bad winter after Pilgrim shut down. It yeah. was the first, first time I had seen it in a while watching the grid mix. There was heavy, heavy oil. It was a one seven day stretch where they, in early January, where they burned more oil than they had in the previous like two years combined. Yeah. It made up for during the cold snap over Christmas, uh, a fifth of, uh, generation in new England, which is wild. You know, that's a wild, that's like, that's like free. OPEC oil crisis levels of oil on the grid. Like you, we just haven't seen that for a really long time, almost over half a century, basically. Um, So I think, yeah, it's good to see. I mean, you know, there are mixed feelings that I have as a nuclear advocate. On the one hand, you're still angry and bitter about, uh, I would say like a certain level of disingenuous and politicking and frankly, bullshit that led to the destruction of this industrial wealth. But, you know, you don't ever want to write anybody off. And ultimately, you want to see people come around. And you always want to have open arms for them to come around, you know? So I think it's really important to celebrate people changing their minds and the sea change. And rather than do like, I told you so, or what took you so long to say like, that doesn't matter. What matters is that we get on the same page as fast as possible today. And that seems more likely than ever. No, I, I, I agree with you 100% there. And I, I think a big piece of it too, and I, you know, having got into the industry when I did, yeah, you know, part of it was on the industry. I mean, we were kind of don't rock the boat mentality. Hey, we'll, totally. Yeah. Well, we'll hum along in the background, be quiet, you know, which is fine um, until anything pops up. And obviously, you know, when, when you think about us as an industry, there's, you know, three events that come to m- people's minds. Um, but you know, <laughs> the, amount, the amount of power that was generated safely, um, you know, and the learning, uh, you know, kind of, I'll say the learning in the industry is unparalleled. The training in the industry is unparalleled. I mean, absolutely. I came from, I came, like I said, I came from a government background. 
So I still remember some of my first days in the plant and they're like, no, you got to hold the handrails. And I'm like laughing. I'm like, why do I have to hold the handrails? Like, that's safe. Like you, you're, their minute details down to safety is about you walking around the site. Don't talk on your cell phone, like little things like that. And then when you kind of look and extrapolate and see what that actually means at the larger level for, for protection and, and safety, it was amazing. Um, it, you know, the training piece just for an operator, um, I, I, I couldn't believe it when I actually understood it. And you know, I think one of the best things I did when I got into the industry um, was actually take the systems class for, for the plant. So the same class that, you know, the first two weeks in operator were spending, you know, in their two-year class. I got to take that, understand the plant, get tested on it, which I was like, oh God, please pass. You know, I hadn't had a test since college. <laughs> so it was kind of, kind of, kind of interesting to understand, but, you know, I saw that, you know, these guys who were on shift you know, every sixth week. So, you know, whatever your, your, your ship work is for, for the first five weeks, your six week, you're in the classroom for the entire week. You have to pass that test at the end of the week. And if you don't, you're not on shift again. Um, and they would train, you know, going over the simulators at these, these sites. Seeing them train on a replica control room, you know, scenarios that have happened at other plants, you know, worst case scenarios in the industry, how would you do this or that? Um, and being able to run those scenarios and having them learn in real time um, and, and then critique and, you know, fine tune, you know, what occurs was just amazing to me because it's not something that, you know, you see in any, really any other industry. I mean, the only other industry to me that's close and it, you know, when it comes to training scenarios, I don't even think it is that close to the airline issue. We have pilots, yeah. right? you know, there's a lot of training. There's a lot of, you know, uh, things that go into that, but I still think, you know, from a, from a, from a training perspective, you know, no one's more highly trained than the operators. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and I very much agree on, uh, difficulties the industry has had in advocating for itself, um, and in communicating its value to the public. Um, and I hope that that is, uh, beginning to change because I think that, um, you know, people, if you live in a deregulated or restructured area, like I do, uh, every once in a while, you'll get a piece of mail. That's like trying to sell you some CCA stuff like that. Most people don't even know what a kilowatt is. So they're looking at this and they're like, what the hell is this even? And they're like, I don't know. I see a winter right on it. I'm signing it. They say they're going to give me a deal. And who knows if that's true. And I'm not knocking anybody because I did not come from a background where I would know anything about this. I'm deeply sympathetic to that. So I think that, um, you know, with this increase in optimism, I think it is hopefully safer for nuclear uh, as an industry to be more outward facing in terms of the value they bring, their culture of safety. And I think the general values of the industry are sound, you know, like, I was, uh, I was just turned in a piece, uh, to a magazine yesterday called ancient earth nuclear, where I talk about at the end of the piece, the functional immortality perhaps of nuclear, like we don't know yet, but like the idea that you have this culture embedded in an industry where you can potentially keep refurbishing these things onto the future, provided we want them. And it um, seems like we're going to need energy in the future, you know? Um, I think that that is a level of foresight, dedication, focus, and commitment that seems absent in a lot of other domains in our culture, not just our industry. And I think that's really inspiring. I think that'll really resonate with people. It makes a lot of sense too. And I think one of the things, you know, the industry has tried to do, but, you know, I still think, you know, it, it's a struggle to get your side of the message out. Totally. 
you know, you hear, oh, it's a 60-year-old plant, it's a 50-year-old plant, it's this, it's that. Yeah, it's 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 a 60-year-old plant in the same way that that, you know, 67 Mustang is a, you know, I'm a 60-year-old car. It's it still it, rules. It, 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 and Mustang like is still cool yeah, as hell. Well, like, <laughs> like it on the outside, but the work done inside, it can be completely, mm-hmm. you know, new parts, you know, whatever you need along the way. You do that preventative maintenance. You do all that. So, yeah, the body is one thing, but the parts on the inside have, have been refurbished, excuse me, to a point where, you know, it's still viable. And I think the other piece, you know, kind of where you were just going with this, you know, you hear a lot about the nuclear waste problem. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's only a problem because we choose, I think, as a as a country to not kind of take it head on. You know, do you want to uh, solve it? Do you want to find a permanent repository for it? You know. And is the best use right now, taking that as it sits at every plant in the site, I mean, in the nation, and putting it into a permanent repository? Or should we be looking at what France does in reprocessing the fuel? Because when you have these fuel assemblies that still have 90 to 95% of their, their usable power in, in, mm-hmm. in, these, uh, in these fuel pellets, you know, do you go through the process to extract that and then reuse that power and and you have generations of power still available in there and it's totally has been done um you know really since pre-carter administration that's really kind of where reprocessing stops so late 70s before i was even born Mm -hmm. uh so you know kind of where are we want where do we want to go as a nation where do we want to look at um you know and i know that some of these some of these um reactive designs you know the the kind of the next gen reactive designs are looking at you know can we use spent fuel in these assemblies in our reactors so totally is there's that option that that people are starting to think outside the box that it's only a problem because we don't want to address it yeah no totally and i think you know um uh, uh earlier this year even aoc was praising france's reprocessing Fukushima, um, which you know that that says a lot to me that you, if you go there and get yourself educated you kind of start to learn and understand exactly exactly so i think you know that tells me that there's potential for a broad coalition uh who's willing to try to find these solutions you know maybe we'll see breeders back on the table like i don't i don't know um but i think that uh the we have potential for the conversation to really change around nuclear so totally and i think it's not in arkansas arkansas passed the bill this year um, which to me, I thought was kind of unheard of where they're like, we want to be the spot to reprocess and, and house you know, yeah. fuel um, for that next generation, which I thought was kind of really interesting. Um, you know, I've tried to reach out and, and still, uh, you know, a phone call to the representative that put that bill uh, forward because I just really kind of want to understand it from a nuclear perspective. Of, you know, what are you guys looking to do down there? Because, um, you know, obviously Arkansas is pro-nuclear, you know, having been an energy employee, they have A&O down there. Mm-hmm. Um, them a ton of, of clean power. So, you know, they definitely know what they're talking about when it comes to nuclear. So it'll be interesting to kind of way that all, all plays out. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And we, now we have all these, uh, these moratoria being lifted on nuclear, a lot of which were sort of, uh, de facto moratoria premised around waste handling. Um, yeah. you know, California is sort of the white whale of that. Like if California ever reverses that, like that's when, you know, it's really changed. You oh, know, yeah. you know like that would be that'd be like a huge, you know, like you would really like the boardroom of the Sierra Club would be reduced to tears like immediately <laughs> if that happened, you know. Um, so but that feels like, hey, that might be in the running now. So 
let me let me sort of like change tracks here and ask you more generally. You know, you, you've talked about how Holtec is like is it's a technology company. What haven't we talked about that you're excited about with Holtec right now? You know, I, I'm just excited about kind of you know what the future is going to hold. I mean, the company mm. you know has been built for the last 36 years. You know, it started with our, our founder, um, Dr. Chris Singh, uh, who really you know is, is a fascinating individual. Uh, has always, you know, from from what I've gotten to know of him, has has kind of always just muted his art. What's what's the next challenge? What's the next issue? Mm-hmm. I mean, for for him to, you know, have this, you know, very steady, very secure, um, spend fuel business. You know, we do heat exchangers as well. Um, you know, kind of the beginning of our our business model that was, you know, heat exchangers and then into the spent fuel industry. You know, for him to look at opportunities like decommissioning where he is in his career and say, this is the next thing I want to tackle. And then for him to look at small modular reactors and say, oh, this is still something that I think, you know, needs to be done. And to, um, you know, for us, you know, it's a privately held company to, to finance all that on our own um, and, and spend the money, you know, spend the capital uh, to, to run these programs. And, and you know, knowing that the payoff's not going to be for, you know, years, if not decades down the line, when it comes to S- SMR, you know, it's really a credit, you know, to kind of the culture of the company uh, and how we see, um, you know, the industry changing. So you know, I'm excited from from that perspective. Uh, we have a lot of really good people working here um, that, you know, want to do the right thing every day and want to help, you know, what, you know, what, what the future looks like for, for energy. So uh, it's amazing to me, um, you know, at some point above, you know, come down and tour a camping facility. It's, oh, totally. I'd love to. It's one thing that's really cool. Like, you know, I'll say, you think about companies now and, you know, everything, almost everything's manufactured overseas. There's not a lot of, um, mm-hmm. you know, production in the U S and, and, you know, to Dr. Singh's credit, all of our stuff's uh, manufactured in the U S we have oh, that's awesome. facility, uh, Cameron, New Jersey. That's, does a lot of our spent fuel, um, you know, canisters. It's also set up for, you know, when, when the time comes, you know, to do some, some SMR work there. Um, but then we have a, a facility outside of Pittsburgh and a facility outside of, uh, or in Orville on Ohio. So, you know, 1.2 million square feet of, of shop space in the United States and we ship everything, you know, internationally. And we're in 14 countries, you know, we're, we're in, um, you know, constantly working overseas to, to expand the business um, and, uh, you know, continue to grow uh, as, as a business, you know, that's been very successful for the last 36 years. That's awesome. I love that. I love that it's made in the U.S. I would be, of course, honored to come to her uh, the campus at some point, we'll have to talk about that. Um, and I think this is a great place to wrap it up on a really hopeful note. So Pat, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you making the time. No, this is great. Thank you so much. I, I really, really enjoyed it. All right. Glad to hear it. All right, everybody. Remember, stay sharp, stay strong and stay radiant. We will see you next time.